number one. Karate for defense only. Eh? Rule number two. Fast run rule number one. Wax on, wax off. Be best, cause you're only a man, and a man's got to learn to take it. Welcome to Now Playing's The Karate Kid Retrospective Series. It's not tournament, it's for real. With the upcoming reboot starring Jaden Smith and Jackie Chan, Brock, Arnie, and Jacob will be looking back at all the Karate Kid movies, culminating in a weekend of release review of the new film. We do not train to be merciful here. Mercy is for the weak. These podcasts will contain spoilers, and you can find a new podcast each week at nowplayingpodcast.com. Ask one more small request. And if you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a positive review on iTunes. You're a pushy little bastard, ain't you? I like that. Today we're talking about The Karate Kid, starring Ralph Macchio, Noriyuki, Pat Morita, Elizabeth Shue, the wonderful William Zabka, Randy Heller, and Martin Cove, directed by John G. Alvudson. This is Noriyuki Brock Morita, co-host of Now Playing. This is Jacob, literally a stone's throw from Reseda. <laughs> and this is Arnie Macchio, or I'm sorry, just Macho, actually. Well, this is the first in our retrospective series of the Karate Kid series because there is an eagerly anticipated remake starring Jaden Smith coming out in just a few weeks. No one is more surprised that this movie is being remade than I am, and I'm just extremely surprised that it's getting such good buzz. So I'm getting a little bit excited about doing this retrospective series with both of you. Well, that's shocking because when I suggested to you, Brock, hey... Let's do a Karate Kid series. I believe you went, who's going to want that? That's a kid's movie. I know. I said that. You know, Now Playing doesn't really review a lot of family films. You know, we did Madagascar 2 as part of the regular series before we started doing retrospectives. And that was kind of like one of those, let's try that out. I don't understand. I think Saw's fun for the whole family. (laughs) Depends what family. The Manson family, for example, might love that. I think my opinion might have been a little bit harsh on saying it's just a kid's movie. It it certainly isn't just a kid's movie. But... As always with Now Playing, we have three different viewpoints. Brock, you came into the series before we'd watched them when we were pre-discussing. Fairly negative on it. You weren't excited for the remake, and you thought of the whole thing as a kid's series. And I want to point out, in doing the research, I didn't realize there was a Saturday morning cartoon where Mr. Miyagi and Daniel-san ran around chasing some artifact. Oh, yeah. There was a toy line, Arnie. There were Karate Kid toys with Karate Chop action features and all that. Did it have Kung Fu grip? I I would hope so. I, I Honestly, if it didn't have it, I'd be very disappointed. <laughs> I'm surprised that they're actually, what I read is releasing that TV series on DVD for the new movie. Well, I always thought of this as a kid's series because I loved this series when I was 11 or 12 years old. And when I revisited them again when I was a teenager, I did not enjoy them as much. But I'm talking more of the sequels. This original movie, I can honestly say I haven't seen since I was around 11, 12 years old. And so when I would watch the Karate Kid when I was on cable, it was always Karate Kid 3 or the next Karate Kid. And I didn't think those movies were made for me. So I'm looking forward to revisiting these movies as we go on in this series. So I guess I'm the fanboy, the Karate Kid fanboy, which I've actually only seen half of these films. I, I never saw 3 and the next Karate Kid. But I, I've seen 1, I've seen 2. And, and Brock, you missed something on your intro. This is the Academy Award-nominated Karate Kid. Pat Morita was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for this. So this movie's got some credit. I'm a huge fan of this original film. I've seen the trailers for the remake, and I didn't automatically hate it, which I guess is a good sign. But I I think The Karate Kid, this original one, is probably at least in my top ten favorite movies of all time, maybe my top five. This is a classic, this first one. A couple of years ago, I was working in a copy shop, managing a copy shop. Copy, not coffee. I'm sitting in my office, as all good managers do, ignoring everyone, and I get this knock on my door. One of the employees comes and says, hey, you know, this guy wants to copy this movie poster, but it's copywritten, but he's in the movie. What do you mean he's in the movie? And she shows me this poster. It's got Martin Cove, Pat Morita, and, and Ralph Macchio. They're all in the Cobra Kai dojo. And she's like, it's this guy, and points to Martin Cove. I'm like, Martin Cove's in here right now? And she's like, 
yeah. I'm like, holy hell. I flew out of my office. I'm like, man, I will break whatever copyright laws there are if you just sign one of these for me. <laughs> and, you know, he was really nice. Doesn't quite have the bill that he had back in the 80s when he was doing all his action films. The reason I'm telling this story is there's this generational gap. The, the, these kids working in this copy shop that I manage, they were like right out of high school and they had no idea what this movie was. And so I spent probably the next month lecturing them. I actually had a team member building experience where we just watched The Karate Kid. Because I'm like, look, I can't relate to you guys on any level unless you understand what a perfect movie this is. Hmm. Now, Jacob, was there any pain in that copy shop? Any pain? Was there any fear in that copy shop? Was there any mercy in that copy shop? (laughs) Yeah, if if one of those team members ticked me off, there was no mercy and a lot of pain. I was the one who suggested this series because I remember thinking of it as an action (laughs) series. And I'm like, we do action films. We did Terminator. Let's do Karate Kid. And when Brock said it was a kid's movie, I was really scratching my head. It turns out I don't remember this movie at all. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) I've seen the end fight repeatedly on cable over the years it turns out i haven't seen the karate kid in its entirety since it first came out in video in 1985 i saw one through three in theaters and that's about the only time i've seen them i have never seen the hillary swank one i do have high hopes though for the upcoming remake because i'm a big jackie chan fan i find him to be very funny and i see if somebody's going to inherit the position of being the somewhat funny cranky sensei i think he'd be good at it yeah except that's taking place in china uh where they use kung fu and not japan where they use karate but that that that's me getting into my uh kung fu film nerdity and and i really that actually might ruin the remake for me we'll see how they treat that whole thing i'll bring this up now because we're kind of looking at the whole series The film was originally titled The Kung Fu Kid, and I think that would have been a better title because people are going to expect Mr. Miyagi and Daniel-san, and that's not what we're getting in this new Karate Kid. It's not a remake so much as it is the same story, only different. You know, like one of those sequels where none of the stars will come back. Jackie Chan is not playing Mr. Miyagi. He's Mr. Han. He's his own guy. The little Mm. Smith child is not Daniel-san. I don't know what his name is because I haven't seen the movie yet. But it was originally going to be titled The Kung Fu Kid, kind of its own thing, and I think that would be much better. According to what I've read, everywhere except in the U.S., it is going to be called The Kung Fu Kid. But because us U.S. audiences, we like our, you know, we don't like to chew anything. We like oatmeal and marshmallows, and we don't like to think too much. So they're calling it The Karate Kid for us. I see. Well, we like our franchises. I I mean, where would now playing be without our franchises? (laughs) Well played, Jacob. Well played. (laughs) (laughs) I want to talk about something that I have always read, and I just happened to pop up on uh, Wikipedia really quickly, and I saw it right there in the beginning. The director of this movie also directed Rocky, and they always talk about this movie being very similar to Rocky, a kid's Rocky. And I never really saw that. I see the underdog thing, of course, but Rocky was a fighter who wanted a chance to be something. Daniel just wanted to be left alone. He was picked on. I don't really see a lot of similarities between Rocky and Daniel as a character. I do see the underdog story there. But just just for the sake of conversation, let's just say that the story has the same tones. Why would this director want to do this movie if it's so close or even similar to Rocky? You know, when I was watching this movie, I hadn't looked up the director or anything. I... I kind of figured, like Ralph Macchio himself, perhaps he never went on to do much. And I'm watching this movie, and I'm like, this is reminding me a lot of Rocky. I see a lot of parallels to Rocky. And then I'm finally, after I'm done, I have all my notes ready for this episode about how it's a lot like Rocky and like a teenage version of Rocky. And then I'm like, oh, crap, it's directed by the same guy who did Rocky. So now I'm just stating the obvious that I'm going to sound like a fool. I mean, it's like Rocky in in some senses, but it's really not like Rocky in a lot of other senses. So to me, I never really made the huge parallel. I like Rocky films very, very much. And I would say I'm more of a fan of that series than this one. But I can see the similarities. But to say it's a teenage Rocky, I mean, I don't know if it's the same thing. Look, John G. came back to do Rocky V, so he likes familiar territory. I mean, he did all three Karate Kids. He did The Power of One. If you haven't seen that, that's about a young uh, white kid in South Africa who becomes this great boxer. So maybe he just likes the fighting movies. I mean, the writer, Robert Mark Kamen, he did all the Karate Kids, including the new one. He wrote The Power of One. He did Transporter 2 and 3, Kiss of the Dragon, which is a Jet Li movie. 
so a lot of fighting stuff going on here. You know, it's like Rocky in the sense that it's about an underdog. You know what? Why don't we talk about it when we get into the movie review? I think it's a good idea, Arnie, that we have a plot summary, just so we're all on the same page of what we're talking about here. So why don't you give us a plot summary of The Karate Kid? For the millennials who don't know this movie, I will summarize. <laughs> For everyone of our generation, fast forward about two minutes. <laughs> Daniel LaRusso is the child of a single mother who's moved from New Jersey to California. There he meets Elizabeth Shue and like any heterosexual male falls deeply in love with her. Never mind that Johnny Lawrence is her ex-boyfriend. Johnny Lawrence is also a member of the Cobra Kai karate team that since Daniel and Allie are becoming an item, repeatedly kick Daniel's ass. Not that Daniel doesn't antagonize them a little back. It's an escalating game where finally, a little stoned the night of a Halloween party, they seem ready to seriously injure Daniel LaRusso when his apartment's handyman, Mr. Miyagi, intervenes and saves him. Miyagi agrees to train Daniel for the big karate tournament and makes a deal with the Cobra Kai's sensei, John Kreese, that the Cobra Kai's will leave Daniel alone while he trains and they will have their ultimate showdown on neutral territory at the Karate Championship. Miyagi and Daniel form a bit of a father-son relationship as Daniel learns the ways of karate. They go to the tournament and Daniel wins. The Cobra Kai sensei and the kids there have a whole different philosophy on karate than Mr. Miyagi does towards what karate is about and what it's for. And... The Cobra Kai has this have-no-prisoners kind of attitude. This man's a Vietnam veteran. Uh, excuse me, Brock. Let's get it yes. right. Sorry. Strike first, strike hard, no mercy. <laughs> Sir. Meanwhile, Mr. Miyagi says karate is used only for knowledge and defense, never for attack. Oh, wait, that was Yoda. That was for Yoda, but very similar, <laughs> in fact. So the philosophies of karate are different. It also helps out with the how they're antagonistic to each other. So that really helped out with the plot. I think that's a big deal with this plot about what karate really is about, not just in a sense of attacking and defense, but more about a philosophy of being, a, a, a sense of self. I don't know that I agree with anything you just said, Brock. <laughs> Let's throw down, my friend. Let's throw down. Because, yes, there... I, I agree with you on the factual statement that Kreese mm -hmm. and Miyagi had different philosophies on karate. However, I don't think that necessarily that was what this movie was about. This movie was a movie that had karate in it, but this wasn't a movie about karate. This wasn't a Chuck Norris movie. Karate was a mechanism for telling a story about people in this movie. Much like Rocky is a story about telling the tale of a working class guy who's kind of a little bit criminal trying to make a mark in life. This is a story of a teenager trying to fit in in a homogenized California society. And also, the fact is, he doesn't have a father. I, I, when I see this movie, I've watched it very carefully. I don't hear any mention of what happened to the father because it's the 80s. I had taken it as he was a child of divorce and trying to find a father figure. I see this as like one of those ultimate guy movies where it's about male bonding but yet, hey, there's some ass kicking going on, so we can say we like it for that reason. I think I'm going to kind of side with Arnie on this, Brock, because anybody that knows anything about karate, I mean, I ended up taking karate because of this movie when I was like 10. I asked my mom if I could. She said no. And I actually stuck to it. It wasn't like a, a phase thing. I actually did it for about a year and a half and then removed and removed into this dead end town that didn't have a dojo. So I had to, I had to stop taking karate. Anyone in the martial arts world knows that martial arts, kung fu, karate, it's not about beating the crap out of someone. That's never been the philosophy. And so I, I don't think that was the, the big point of this. What, what do you do with your fighting skills? You know, I, I think the, the Cobra Kai philosophy was kind of a response. Arnie brought up, you know, Rocky. I think, you know, Rocky was about, beat, you know, boxing and boxing is about beating your opponent up. It's all about offense and just destroying them. Whereas the martial arts, uh, there's a lot more subtleties to it. So I think that's only an argument maybe to, to people that aren't familiar with the martial arts. I thought I'm saying the same thing you two are. Apparently I'm not. I always thought the philosophies of the two places is not what the movie is about. But what I also saw is Daniel, when he learns karate, he becomes more well-rounded as a person. 
and that is a big part of this movie to me. Now, if you guys don't see that, that's fine. You can disagree with me, but that's part of what the journey is for Daniel in this movie, that karate is part of that missing step in who he is and what he needs, not necessarily because it's karate, but because of the whole when he learns it and what it does for him at the end of the movie. And it's about Mr. Miyagi's approach because his whole approach is balance. You got to, you know, there's this big monologue about balance and how you have to bring balance to your life. And that, that's when we get into the end of this film. That's why Miyagi agrees to let Daniel, after he gets injured, go back and fight because it's about balance and Daniel needs that balance in his life. So, like Arnie said, I don't think this is really about karate. When I watched it this time, I really, the uh, same as Arnie, I took away that father son relationship and mm-hmm. I never saw it on that level before. I hadn't either. And honestly, you talk about balance. Think about the 80s. Just try to put yourself back there. And one thing I like about this movie, I want to say, is while there are a few 80s moments where you just can't help but groan that it's the 80s, like Billy Zabka's leather tie, (laughs) mostly it's Mm -hmm. kind of a timeless piece, you know? So, but you've got to think about the culture of the 80s. And as we mentioned in a previous podcast that we did with Stuart Brock, I can't remember which one, but divorce was a huge story from the 70s and into the 80s, Kramer versus Kramer. And you have the first generation that may have grown up in broken homes who need that strong father figure. Jacob, you were talking about balance. Daniel has a mother, but doesn't have a father figure. He's out of balance. And we're going to find out that Mr. Miyagi is too, and he needs Daniel just as much as Daniel needs him. Which is one of the things I, I really like about the movie here. Going into this movie, I kind of thought it was an action film because when I think about this movie before having just watched it, what do I remember? I remember a bunch of guys in really cool skeleton outfits kicking the crap out of Daniel. I remember the tournament at the end. When I'm watching it this time, I'm realizing that there are these long character building moments. And I don't think that Daniel was getting confidence per se. His problem was he was always confident. Learning karate didn't give him the confidence. It gave him the muscle to back it up, perhaps. But what I feel he really got out of this was balance. He figured out that he didn't need to be up in people's faces quite so much. And look at how much of this movie is devoted to his relationship with Allie. And one of the things that keeps coming up there also is everyone in the new town seems to have a lot of money. And Daniel's feeling very bad about himself because they don't have the money. And the mother has the jalopy. And it's not about confidence so much as just self-acceptance. Okay, that's a, I can definitely accept that. It's self-acceptance, which is probably a much better way to say it. I agree. If I could just bring up one more point of balance. Let's think about what Italians from the East Coast had been <laughs> pictured like in the 70s. You had the Godfather. You think about what Italians from Jersey are depicted as today. Jersey Shore, Tool Academy. I, I don't think a 12-year-old kid could watch this movie set in the 80s and like, this guy's from Jersey? He's an Italian guy from Jersey? Where's where's the gelled hair? Where's the six-pack abs and, and all the chicks he's supposed to be banging at the club? I just love how they deal with these type of characters that it's so easy to stereotype him. You know, you get Mr. Miyagi. I think for a good portion of the film, he's seen that way. He's this magical other from the East. But again, as we get into the story, they bring more layers to his character and really balance him. It's just a great film where it centers all these characters and, and gives them uh, balance and rounds them out. They're not flat characters. Yeah, I agree too. And one of the things that I noticed in this is, you know, Brock, I just, the reason I brought up the kids movie earlier is because when I'm watching this in the back of my mind this whole time, I'm like, Brock said this is a kids movie and I'm seeing all of these deep themes, these subtle themes. Yes, as a kid, I could enjoy this movie because it was about a kid who got picked on and eventually kicked all of his enemies' butts. And that's uh, uh, one <laughs> level. That's the most basic level. That was my 10-year-old understanding. But seeing this as an adult now, I'm like, not only are there deep themes of male companionship and fathership and what it is to be a father, but also to bring up what you mentioned about the Italian, I kind of see some kind of racial thing going on because it's mentioned multiple times that everybody in California is blonde and, you know, almost that perfect Nazi youth. Meanwhile, here you've got Daniel, one of the few people to have dark hair in the entire thing, and he's got the olive skin and he's got the thick Jersey accent, and it's a racial divide and a socioeconomic divide. Daniel being working class, trying to fit in with upper class. Let me go back to the 80s. 80s 
were all about the money, right? It was all about money in the 80s. I mean, have you guys seen the movie Valley Girl? I have not. 80s Nicolas Cage movie. It's all about this. It's about the kids that live in the valley up in the hills in Encino that are rich. And then you got the poor punk rockers that fall in love with them. And and this whole socioeconomic clash between the, I mean, this was a big theme in the 80s. I, I would say even Wall Street, you know, there were just so many movies about somebody trying to make it to that upper crust up trading places. You know, I could just keep naming movies about the poor who eventually are able to work their way into the be with the rich. And it just has all of these themes going on. But I felt so happy to not be hit over the head with them, too. If you're looking for them, they're really there. And I think that the screenwriter did a marvelously balanced job of doing it right. But it didn't feel like a message movie. It made me really click with these characters. And during some extraordinarily long scenes of exposition, I didn't mind. You keep bringing it up that I I said to you before we started this whole podcast that I thought this was a kid's movie. And that was based on what I thought it was beforehand. I'm going to tell you right now, watching this movie, I had a fantastic time watching this movie. I'm seeing everything about these plots and these characters you guys are seeing as well. As a father watching this movie, I'm seeing it in a whole different way. Whereas before it was about something else when I was 11 or 12, now it's a more rounded movie. I can see so many different things in it. And I got to tell you, as an adult, I had a blast watching this movie, and I'm looking forward to showing it to my kids when they're old enough to watch it. I want to add to that, since you're talking about the personal experiences, uh, those who listen to my other podcast, Star Wars Action News, are aware that I recently had a death of somebody close to me who was kind of my Mr. Miyagi. He was a father figure to me. He gave me my first car. He taught me a lot of things. It was computers instead of karate. But I think when I was watching this movie, and especially during part two, I'll be lucky if I can make it through our part two podcast without breaking down because I was seeing a lot of similarities there. And I think that's why I was seeing many of the themes that I see now is because he just passed away a couple months ago and it's all very fresh now that i've completely brought the podcast down let's talk about ally because she's hot (laughs) (laughs) well she is she is quite hot and and know what i love about this i don't think i noticed this before i don't think this is i don't mean any disrespect to miss elizabeth shoe because she is beautiful but she seems so much bigger than he did and he seems so scrawny with his scrawny little arms and his head. And she just seemed so much... It was the hair. It was the teased 80s hair. It was, it was the hair. It wasn't the big sweaters, maybe. I thought it was the big skirts. I mean, she's not a tiny, tiny girl, but she's not exactly big either, you know? But next to each other, they, they, looked so, they looked so right, but they didn't look so right at all. You know what I mean? It was kind of... They worked... The chemistry between them was fantastic. But physically speaking, it was just... It was funny to me. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was looking at... Ralph Macchio in this movie, I'm like, that guy's got like a 12-inch waist. (laughs) And he was 21 when they filmed this. Wow. Like, yeah. And that's one of the things I appreciated about this movie is that it wasn't like Fast Times at Ridgemont High where all the high school kids were like 35. Yeah, they they still look like they were in their 20s, but at least they look closer to high school. I always appreciate when people look the age they're supposed to be in movies. I agree. I thought he was 23, I thought I'd read. But either way, he looked high school, and she, not so much. But you said he had a 12-inch waist. What's kind of funny and just maybe a little sad is in this movie, Elizabeth shoes a little bit chunky by 21st century standards. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that was normal back. I mean, you look at, like, Marilyn Monroe. And there's no way she'd be a model. I, I like curves, though. So I, I dug uh, Elizabeth Shue. Yeah, I had no problem looking at this girl at all. I liked the curves. That, that beach girl. scene where the, the bathing suit's kind of riding up. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I can't say I didn't notice. Shoe is hot. We'll just agree on that. But here's my problem with this. is So much of this movie is dedicated to this relationship. And if you guys disagree that it's done well, we can get into that now. I think that it might be pretty safe to say it's a very well done, realistic high school romance. It's it's all very chaste, so it may not be realistic again by today's standards. It was very chaste, but I liked the subtlety of their relationship and how it had a lot of flirting. Jacob, when we did the Martin Scorsese podcast, one of my complaints about Gangs of New York was the whole relationship felt a little bit forced a little bit fake here i so went with it you believe that these two kids are kind of falling for each other on literally the playground again it was very high school like very emotional and and sudden i bought it when they get to that final kiss towards the end and there that's a full-on high school sucking face kiss you know they (laughs) dude you watch that again that's like two vacuum hoses and that's you know that's how it is in high school there's no subtlety you just want to get your tongue in the other person's mouth 
I got to tell it, you, though, that kiss felt so uncomfortable to watch. I was like, oh, this, oh, oh. but you're right. Because they it go perfect, for it. It's yeah, totally right. emotional. Like, right. I loved it. She's so understanding, too, because he's really a jerk to her. <laughs> because All the time, he's like, you can go with them because they have money. Leave me alone. I just got my butt kicked on the beach. He just constantly mean to her, and she's just, like, there. She's, like, the perfect woman. That's how the hell. That's how it is in high school, though. You're you're so wrapped up. This is going to be my lover forever. Obviously, Allie is someone that's willing to be abused. She was with uh, Johnny, and like <laughs> oh he like smashes <laughs> her ghetto blaster, and she's like not that upset over it. Man, th- this is a woman that's got some baggage. It is definitely the eighties of her calling it a ghetto blaster. <laughs> I I was going to say something similar, Arnie. That she took a lot of stuff from Daniel in this movie, and she was very very patient with him. And I think that was also sort of earned in the movie because when they did flirt and when they were hitting it off, it really worked. That little voice thing he said a couple of times is really cute, for example. Their their flirting had that bond, that instant attraction thing that I really felt popped off the screen. So when, for example, later in the movie, when he needs to walk away because she sees Johnny in the Cobra Kai – and she wants, she's giving a little bit of a hard time. I want to just walk through here, and he, he didn't want to. Then they get back together later on in the shower. It was – that came out wrong, but you know what I mean. <laughs> they, they, it, it totally works because the relationship, as Jacob said, was a high school relationship. But at the same time, she still was extremely patient with this guy, and I liked that so much. And I think this movie is so well written with this, with this relationship – that you believe each part of this little sparring, if you will, back and forth with the two of them because they want to be together, but they realize there's a little bit of difficulty here for their own personal reasons. It's really well done. I do have one question, though, because there's one thing in this movie, and I'm going to nitpick it because it's all I got. (laughs) (laughs) There's the scene at the dance where Allie and Johnny are dancing. At the country club, you mean? At the country club, yes. And Daniel comes in through the kitchen and sees... Johnny Mm -hmm. force a kiss on her. And so he turns around, runs into the spaghetti. Now, all the things Daniel has done, Allie's been there and been, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Daniel sees this thing, which is, of course, very easy to understand. And that's what Allie gets PO'd about, because then the next time you see her together, she's like all cold to him. She's not going to say, hey, he forced that on me. Hey, I punched him. That's what she gets mad about. Well, I think it was more that Daniel just started ignoring her after that. Exactly. That he was upset with her. Now, why didn't she go up and try to explain it? Who knows? Maybe there's some cut scenes when you get our director's cut of the Karate Kid someday. We'll have those <laughs> scenes added back in there where she tries to apologize and, and or explain the situation and uh, Daniel son uh, blows her off. But not not that the scenes are needed the movie is two full hours and yeah, i know i couldn't believe this was a 2 hour movie marketed to kids the the thing that got me was you know he's going up to her i i would have seen this as a situation where she'd need to go to him and explain what happened he goes to her at the arcade and i'm like well why'd he get over that he should still be mad so i do think there's something in the script that was kind of cut there it's the one beat of an entire movie that one beat didn't make sense. Yeah, it felt like that because they had to get that kiss in there between them where they, they you know they're a couple. And I felt that was maybe a little rush, that arcade scene. I loved watching that arcade scene, though. You don't see arcades like that anymore. I grew up in those things. I love that. Yeah, it, that scene, it seemed a little bit rushed, but I, I wasn't about to get hung up on it. I, I was too into the movie. It's not a horrible beat, though. You know what I mean, Arnie? It's not like a, it's not a game changer. No, no. It, I was just wanting to know, honestly, if I'd missed something. <laughs> this was me coming to you guys like, here's what I saw. Am I right? Because I, really, in a movie that's as tightly written as this one is, it really shocked me that this was out of left field. I think Jacob got it right. I think he was ignoring her, and then she got mad at him for doing so because she didn't want to hear her side of what happened. One other thing that kind of bugs me with this movie is there are these characters that drop in and drop out of the movie. When the movie starts, Daniel is driving from New Jersey, and I didn't even remember any of these scenes. And he gets to the apartment complex, and he's introduced to Freddy Fernandez. And you think, well, Daniel's made his first friend, and Freddy Fernandez takes him to that beach party. We never see Freddy Fernandez again in this movie, do we? It's because Daniel got his butt kicked. Freddy doesn't want to hang out with Daniel. He doesn't. He's no good at karate. Daniel lied to him, said, I know karate, man. Yeah, Daniel tried to show off and be cool. It bit him in the ass. 
Another thing that I like about this movie, though, is Daniel did take some karate classes. It's not like, which added some realism to his being able to learn this quickly, is that he did have some background. He did take some karate. He never told this guy, yeah, I'm a yellow belt or yeah, I'm a black belt. He just went, yeah, I know a couple moves because he took real classes. It's the why, not the dojo, <laughs> not, not a private teacher. It's the why. You can get a good meal. You can have a, you know, whatever. I mean, seriously, though, it's not the same thing. I'm thinking the why classes are a little more simplistic than a actual karate or kung fu class. The, the basics are the basics. But, yeah, you're not going to come out of a, being a black belt out of the why. But – you know what? Again, this is high school. This seemed realistic to me. I, I spent a lot of time getting in fights in junior high and high school. And like if you became that guy that got your butt kicked all the time, you lost your friends. You were the loser. Like, not that that was me at all. I always won. <laughs> you were the one picking on the loser? Yeah. But no, but high school kids are fickle. They want to be like the popular guy. They want to be with the in crowd, especially in the 80s. It's a good transition to talk about the bullying. One of the things that I like about this story is Daniel's got spunk. He's got spirit. He's got tenacity because he gets his butt handed to him again and again. But my God, if he's not right there. I mean, who would antagonize this guy? This this Billy Zabka could kick your butt eight ways to Sunday, but you're still going to put a hose above his toilet stall and... Get him wet at the Halloween party. Yeah, I love that this is a PG family friendly movie and the guy's rolling a toke. <laughs> like he's make. I remember asking my dad, I'm like, what's he doing? I thought he's trying to fix his Walkman or something. My dad's <laughs> like, oh, you know how you could buy cigarettes? Well, you could roll them and make your own cigarettes. And that's what he's doing. Uh huh. I love that there's some innocence in the 80s where, like, the ratings weren't a marketing thing. It's just like, hey, you know, this is what it is. It wasn't like hearing that Sally, and even though this is an R-rated, we want an R rating because it will get the adults there. It's just like, we're going to have a marijuana joints in the movie. Well, when I was watching this movie when I was a kid, I was convinced what Johnny was in the toilet stall was one of those twist ties you had with garbage bags, those wires with the paper around it. And I was thinking to myself for all those years, why would he play with that? Why would he have that in his pocket? Why would he do that? Why would he bring that to a dance? Seriously. And I had no idea it was a joint until I watched for this podcast, people. I had no idea there was marijuana in this. And it makes complete sense why Johnny almost kills Daniel right afterwards because he's high. Um, Brock, Brock, you're showing your naivete. Pot doesn't make you want to kill people. Pot makes you want to be their friend and then buy them a pizza. It's because he didn't get to smoke it. That's why he wanted <laughs> oh, to kick his butt. Okay, I'm a stranger to that stuff too. Apparently, karate and pot smoking, I am not a master in. Jacob knows one, I know the other. <laughs> <laughs> yes. How, how classic is that shower costume, I have to say? I always wanted to do that as a costume for some Halloween party. Well, I, I don't know if you guys know this, but Allie, do you know who she was supposed to be dressed up as? Princess Leia. Yeah! I didn't know that until I uh, watched the commentary track. Oh, all right, I cheated. I listened to the commentary too. <laughs> <laughs> so so you guys want to talk about the way Mr. Miyagi trained Daniel. Wax on, wax off. That's what so this movie's all about is how he's trained. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. So let's spend some time there for a few minutes. Let me ask you a question, Arnie. You didn't take karate or you did take karate? Did not. Did you think you could do karate by doing wax on, wax off, paint the fence, paint the house? When I was 10? Hell yeah. Me too. Now? No. This is how my father got us to do our chores. <laughs> by claiming, he's like, I got this from the karate kid. You will be able to do karate after you clean your room this way. Pick up toy. Pick up with left hand, put in box in right hand. It was a lot of fun to watch it this time because it, these became cliches. To watch it now, so many years removed, and see it in context and actually get submerged in the movie, it was just a joy to watch because you know what was going on, but Daniel didn't know and... When he finally gets so frustrated, the whole thing, it just was so much fun to watch these scenes again and really experience them almost like the first time watching it from a different perspective. You're never going to get me to say Ralph Macchio is a good actor ever. <laughs> but that said, he played these scenes extraordinarily well because when he's doing it, you, you get his confusion. And at the end, when he's just had enough, he really sells that anger and like feeling betrayed because he trusted Mr. Miyagi and feeling like he wasn't learning anything and not understanding. And this does again, I, I see the Daniel son Miyagi relationship, a lot of father and son, but my God, there's a lot of Luke and Yoda in this. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. This, I mean, all three star Wars movies had come out by now. Man, if you could improve on The Empire Strikes Back, this Luke-Yoda relationship could do that. 
I love the training going on here. Yeah, I mean, there's the Miyagi go, you walk left side of road, you okay, you walk right side of road, you okay, you walk middle, squish just like grape. That's the same as do or do not, there is no try. It sure I is. That in my notes. Much like I think Yoda was kind of a jerk to Luke at times, here Miyagi kind of could have put some more trust in Daniel-san to tell him what's going on. Sure, it leads to the wonderful scene. And again, Machio just sells the surprises. He's blocking Miyagi's punches, but it leads to a great thing and it sells itself very well. But by the same token, does it make a whole lot of sense why this guy would have him wash the trucks and not tell him why? I mean, he tells him at the beginning, he's like, you can't question me. You got to just do what I say. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Dude, it, it blew me away when I saw this when I was a kid. I still think, you know, out of all the movie reveals, there's Luke, I am your father, which is like one of the greatest movie reveals ever. This whole sequence is just classic cinema. When he just starts doing all these moves and Miyagi's throwing punches and kicks and he's just blocking everything. You're like, dang, this is the greatest movie ever. That was <laughs> such a great buildup. What I like about it is it doesn't rush through a montage of Daniel doing the work. It takes its time. This whole movie takes its time. I don't know that a producer today would allow this movie to run the two hours it does, but this movie's like a slow date. Do you know what I understand? It's not rushing to get to the heavy petting at the end. It allows these scenes to go on. You're as confused as Daniel if you haven't seen this movie. And when it happens, it's so much better because we didn't just get a montage of him paint the fence, sand the deck, wash the car. It You got to kind of labor through it a little bit and build the frustration for the first time you're seeing it. And the pace of this movie, it's a, it's a slow pace. It's a very deliberate pace. But it works so well. It's it's like sinking into a hot bath, this movie is. Arnie, you mentioned earlier that this movie isn't about karate, and I completely agreed with you. Apparently it came out like I said that because the montage comes at the tournament where all the karate is going to be happening. No, no, no. Let's, let's not jump ahead. We're still in the 80s. We, As Team America told us, we always need a montage. Come on. And this, this is built off of the Rocky model, Arnie. <laughs> That's your thesis. And Rocky is nothing but like six movies of montages. Of awesome and, and I gotta montages. Say, if In anything, if you want to go from a beginner to a pro, you need a montage. Now, going back to the training real quick, because we got this Rocky thing going. Now, I know I haven't watched the Rocky movie within the last probably six months. But I, I know, it, I believe it's Rocky 1. You have Rocky where he starts beating up the meat and that be, kind of becomes his thing. And then in Rocky 3, I believe, or Rocky 2, one of them, he chases chickens around to get fit. So you, you can see them kind of delving into that, you know, we're going to do that working man, that working class thing where you're going to build this natural muscle, get these natural skills by doing everyday things. If you go back to that first Rocky, boxing is again kind of like karate is here. This is a movie about Rocky and Adrian and their relationship and Rocky trying to figure out his place and hadn't gotten to a bad place. That's a lot of what Daniel's going through. You've got the same kind of relationship, the same kind of building a sense of self and a determination of what they're going to do with their life. It honestly makes a little bit more sense for Danielson to be doing it than Rocky because Rocky was already past his prime. He should have figured out his course in life by that movie. But the slow, deliberate pace and the focus of the interpersonal relations between the characters is what made me think so much of Rocky with the sporting event as the framing element, but it's not the story. Right. Well, and speaking of one of the scenes that, again, this is a two-hour movie. It it doesn't seem like two hours to me. This wasn't like when we were doing The Aviator where two hours and 40 minutes seemed like a couple of days. (laughs) It was a pretty brisk two hours for me and one of the things i noticed is that some of the shots there are some long shots a single camera and there's no cuts that's ambitious for a movie like this i agree with you jacob that scene when daniel's son is punching mr miyagi in the catcher's gear it starts up with a very close-up of him doing that and the camera slowly pans out as they keep going and training and the sunset in the background and all that that's one long beautiful pullback shot This thing is beautifully shot. There's the scene of Daniel and his mother having dinner or lunch or something at a restaurant. And it's a single long shot conversation. And, you know, it's your standard two shot. In the middle of them, in the background, 
you see all the Cobra Kai's coming out of the dojo, and then they see Daniel in the window, and they're running back, and there's so much background action there. And I thought, how ingenious, because first of all, the scene could get really arduous. And second of all, so normally you'd see them, you know, cut to a three-quarter angle on Daniel, three-quarter angle on the mom. The standard two-shot with the action in the middle, and the use of depth. And this director seasoned. He did Rocky many, many years before this one. He knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing when he placed that camera and everything shows it's exceedingly well made i i gotta say jacob you and i went through a scorsese series never in a two-hour movie in that series was i as entertained here as connected to the characters as here or as impressed with the camera work as i am with the freaking karate kid Stuart's rolling over in his grave right now <laughs> at the end daniel ali and mr miyagi they all walk out of the locker room right before the big karate match it's a single shot where they walk out of the locker room and it slowly pans as they walk around this big auditorium where the tournament's going on and the camera's following them and it's like on a crane where it keeps getting higher and it's all one continuous shot. You don't expect to see this this kind of camera work in just what some might consider a kid's film. Yeah, I, I think the writing was great, the directing was great, the cinematography was great. And the acting was pretty good. I like the chemistry between Mr. Miyagi and Daniel Sun, I thought. I thought Pat Morita was fantastic in this movie, just absolutely phenomenal. The presence this guy has on the screen in this part is just phenomenal. I liked how over-the-top the karate sensei was. I thought that was great. John Kreese, the Martin Cove character, one of the top movie villains because of this film. I don't know what happens to him in the other movies, but this one, just such a great villain. I love the chemistry between the mother and Daniel as well, although she was a bit annoying I like the interplay between the two actors in their scenes. The interplay between all the actors was great. And the common thread there, Arnie, was Ralph Macchio. He is. And Macchio was fine. Do not get me wrong. I'm not Heather Langen camping him. <laughs> it's, it's merely that he wasn't as good as some of those surrounding him. I think his game was elevated by those against him. Absolutely. We, you know, it's so easy to overlook Miyagi in our conversation here. We seem to have done so many times talking about the training and things. But my God, yes, what a great performance this is. And it's so subtle and it starts off so stereotypical, doesn't it? And he really just minds the humanity of this character. And I, I compare him a lot in my own mind to the gruff coach from Rocky. And in some ways, there was some similarities. There was a hardness there. There was the fact that they were much older than the one they were training and some of that relationship, but also the caring that comes through from Mr. Miyagi for Daniel and all of that, it is a wonderfully layered performance by Pat Morita and just it, the humor in it too. It, it, it's so wonderfully sold because it's so sparse and dry. I yeah. There's some great lines in this movie and just so Pat Morita just does some great looks like that guy says so much with his face. I remember the first time you're introduced to him and Daniel walks into his little shed at the apartment complex and Mr. Miyagi just like turns like barely around. You see this glance of his eyes and communicates so much like, what the heck are you doing in my room? I, I got to bring up one scene. This is the scene where you, you find out his backstory. He's an immigrant to the U.S., fought in World War II in the 442nd, which was a mostly Japanese battalion that fought over in Europe. And while he was fighting in World War II, his wife dies in labor while she's in an internment camp because they're Japanese. This Again, this is a kid's movie. Why are you getting into internment camps in the U.S. and people dying in labor? And here's this guy. Finally, I understand why he wants to take Daniel on to teach him karate because Miyagi always talks about his father. He learned karate from his father, but he never got that chance to pass it on. He never got that son. His son passed away. It explains why he was hesitant to teach it because he didn't know Daniel. Daniel's a guy who lives in the apartment. And... It's something very personal for him to teach karate. It's what he was going to do with his child that he'd lost. And so that hesitation, the reason why when he's telling Daniel, go talk to the teacher, but I'm not going to train you. And Daniel gets all PO'd and walks out. You understand why he did it. It makes it so heartbreaking. Again, this kind of movie, to put that kind of scene in there, you didn't need that scene. This movie could have still been what it was without that scene. 
But the fact that they left it in there and they gave it that kind of depth is just a credit to to those the you know the writer and the director for fighting because there were, there was a fight to keep this scene in there and I'm glad they did. I have to agree with you. I was going to bring this scene up. I'm really glad you did because same thing with the joint early on. There's no way an 11 year old kid could really understand what was going on in that scene. And watching it now, my God, what just an amazing scene and what and what an amazing historical context to put in this movie. You're absolutely dead on. But what I also think was really great about this scene is how it ends. Some people may think it's cheesy, but I think it's great. Daniel bows to his teacher. While he's asleep. Why I said that, guys, I, I kind of welled up. I swear to God. It was the perfect moment. That kid gets it. It was great. It went beyond just him needing it. And, you know, it goes to the scene where Miyagi gives him the car and he tells Mr. Miyagi, you're the best friend I ever had. And now it's an idealized father-son relationship. To talk about the subtlety as well, let's talk about the Cobra Kai's. Because when you first see them, I I rolled my eyes so hard. I'm like, oh, my God, it's a dirt bike gang. Dude, they got the feathered hair. (laughs) Beautiful hair. Oh, come on. Johnny's bangs were as tough as his kick. Oh, those were awesome. Like, that's what every skater had in the 80s were those bangs. That, that was an impenetrable defense right there. <laughs> what I like about the Cobra Kai is, I, I think every movie but this one, there would be Johnny and the gang. It would be like the Lost Boys, right, where you got Kiefer Sutherland and the rest. I love that the Cobra Kai's each had a distinct personality, and I don't remember necessarily their names, but you had Johnny, who was kind of their leader and things, but then you had the one who is the one who hurts Daniel's knee, and he's always, like, the one who's not quite as down with the evil. And he's the one who's telling Johnny not to kill Daniel against the fence when they're all in the skeleton outfit. It's very consistent with him. And then you've got the other one who's, like, totally down with the dark side. He's like... Dutch. Yeah, Dutch. I love Dutch, man. That bleached hair is beautiful. Didn't you think Billy Idol the whole time, though? Oh, yeah. Totally. Karate Billy Idol? How do you beat that? I liked that each of them had their own degrees of evilness and were consistent with it. They weren't just the henchmen. And, and of course, we we talked a little bit about their leader, Kreese, and he is just incredibly, wonderfully, gloriously evil. 80sly evil again it's a, it's a very 80s philosophy you know you got to get what you've got to get get yours and no mercy strike hard strike first no mercy that's what the 80s was all about wall street baby yeah absolutely and i just totally dug him and there's not too much with crease in this i had to look up his name because i just kept calling him the evil sensei in all my notes because i could i don't even know if they say his name i think they show his name on a plaque when they're showing the dojo the first time but that's it but really, he's kind of a non-entity. You just remember him at the end where he's telling all the Cobra Kai's to kick the crap out of Daniel. But the greatest scene is between him and Pat Morita when they go to the dojo. And he goes, I ask another thing. Leave boy alone. He's like, well, what is his line there? You're a pushy little bastard. Yeah, I love that line. That's just, Great delivery. It is. Just to laugh with it. And yet he, he does it. And I love the sense, just his the sense. The, he seems like such a threat. That same scene, Daniel and Mr. Miyagi, they back out of the dojo. And they're just staring each other down like, this is not a guy you turn your back to. Yeah, he he played it just right and came across so evil. Let's let's talk about this montage at the end. You see the real stuntmen doing these kick-ass moves, right? Like the one guy's doing this twirling kick that's right out of Street Fighter where he's basically flying in the air kicking. And then you get to see our actors attempt to do karate. You know what, though? I, I like that they respected whatever skills they had. You watch so many action movies today. When they do martial arts, they have very quick cuts, very close. You, you, they don't pull back and you don't see these full body shots. That's when you know you have a good kung fu movie where the people know what they're doing because the camera will be pulled back so you can see their whole body move. It's not these quick little shortcuts, you know, where they throw a punch in the face and they cut to another angle because the person doesn't know what they're doing. So I like that. You know, again, they're teenagers. It looked like teenagers doing karate. I, yeah, I like that. I, I love like when the Cobra Kai's, when they, you know, get ready in their stances that you could tell they're like, if they had Red Bull back then, they had just down like 30 of them because they're just like standing there ready, jumping around, ready to go, ready to fight. You know, I wouldn't watch this for its martial arts, but there's a lot of energy to the fighting at this, during this last montage. You know what I love, though, is when Daniel has his first ring fight. And he's, you know, he's kicked out of the ring a couple times. He's scared. He's never actually fought somebody else before. 
when he gets his hits, his first and second point, and wins that match, did either of you guys notice they didn't show the action? And this is where it hit me that this wasn't a movie about karate. The whole time, it's focused on a close shot of Daniel so you can see his reaction and his joy at winning his first match. They never show the wide shot so you can see him get the hits, which an action movie would. Yeah, I've never noticed that. I'm going to have to watch, look for that next time I watch Yeah, this. me too. I didn't catch that. that that's a great observation, though. Yeah, it was all about Daniel and his happiness and not about the fight. And I'm like, wow, this is just so great. You, this movie just, it had me. It, it had me at wax on, wax off. <laughs> <laughs> and I got to say about You're the Best, it's so 80s, but man, I love that song. I got to tell it's you. such a great song for the montage uh, for this ending uh, uh, karate tournament. I got to tell you, I sing this song. I love this song. I this is right there with Eye of the Tiger for me. I mean, right there. I just, this song gets me pumped, and I just love it. When I, oh, I had a song in my head for days after watching this movie. How can oh, you I think not? I've been going around singing it. Like, I'll be eating dinner with my wife, and I'm like, you're the best wife around. Like, <laughs> I, I just, like, work everything. Like, that's all that's running in my head. It's just a loop right now. She told me, please stop singing the song, because she got tired of me singing the song around the house. Yeah, we have... <laughs> Similar instances going on. Now, let me ask you something that I thought about this ending, just to kind of analyze it. The ending is very much like a fantasy movie. Daniel wins. And sure, it's what I wanted as a 10 or 11-year-old is, yeah, he kicked the bully's butts. But would it have been better if he'd lost but gone the distance and earned the respect like Rocky? This, this, he had to beat them to get their respect. And that was, that's what this was about, was getting their respect. Johnny giving him the trophy at the end. You're all right, LaRusso. A tad bit hokey, but it's exactly what Jacob just said. He earned the respect of these kids that you did it. And also the teacher, Johnny kind of didn't like what the teacher was telling him during the match, remember? So then Johnny started understanding that this guy is going a little too far for this. And then when Daniel beats him, he earns the respect fully. It's all right there. Now, whether or not you buy into 100% is up to you, the viewer. I'm going with it. I buy into it 90%. I, I just think it's a little cartoonish that, you know, immediately after beating Johnny and taking away Johnny's identity, because oh, that's all Johnny had was the being the best at karate. The moment you take it away, he's not going to go, you're all right, LaRue. So it's, it's like the ending of Grease 2 for crying out loud. I believe that perhaps over time, there could have been a begrudging respect between the two, but it's not going to flip like a light switch. Arnie, you've never been in a street fight. That is how men learn to respect each other. I'm telling you, I would get in fights with people and like we would be best friends after that. It, it's about respect. And that's how men, especially in the 80s, when we had all our action movies, that's how a lot of times you learn to respect another man. It, even in the office place, it might not come to a fight, but you'll have like a major argument with someone. And after that, you're cool. Like you, you've gotten all your emotions out. And I think that moment is earned because, again, we talked about all these little subtleties. You get all these shots of, as you see how evil this Cobra Kai sensei is, you see his students starting to turn on him. And it's not like real obvious. It's just like the look at their face when he tells Johnny to sweep the leg. Like Johnny hesitates. He's like, you got a problem with that? All except for Dutch. Yeah, Dutch right. is totally into like destroying this guy. But you, you can see, again, it, it's subtle, but I think it earns it because you can see they're turning on their sensei throughout this tournament. That's what I just said before. Like They had that scene with Johnny before that. Also, they also have that – I think it, maybe Tommy says, but I could beat him. I could beat him. And the sensei shows you how far this guy is willing to go just to beat this kid. So it's there. I understand, Arnie, that it's a little bit hokey. I completely understand that. But Jacob and I are saying is the movie is, is doing enough there that kind of does work. Yeah. It works for me. It's what you want. This is what we talked about at the end of Back to the Future 3, if you remember, which is my argument and what you talked about there, about the ending you actually want versus the ending that's most realistic. And I have the same gripe. It, it's just, you know, it's far lesser here because this is a, a great movie. What more can I say? Well, I think it's time to put this in a body bag. What do you guys think? <laughs> Jacob, Arnie, do you recommend The Karate Kid? Jacob. You know, you have these movies like Scary Movie and Date Movie and Epic Movie and Disaster Movie where they take all the cliches from cinema and, and do kind of a spoof. This movie, it's like a really sincere version of that. You have East Coast meets West Coast cliches, Western Civ meets Eastern Civilization cliches, the 
underdog story, the guy from the valley going for the girl from the hills. You know, the it's got all these cliches, but there's such an innocence about it. It's so sincere. You know, I have a I, I'm a pretty cynical guy, but there's certain movies that like just hit me in the heart, like just destroy my cynicism. Sky High, if you've ever seen that, it's a goofy Kurt Russell, you know, high school superhero movie. But it just gets me because it's so sincere in its innocence. Speed Racer, I love that movie. Same reasons. And Karate Kid, I think this is why I get into movies like that, is because of the Karate Kid. I saw this as a kid. I mean, those credits started rolling. I was doing crane kicks all over the place. It's, It's such a pure movie where everyone just seems innocent. And here's a story about people trying to fit in. It really pushes past those cliches, though. Like we talked about, it really develops these characters, and you don't expect that from this kind of movie. And so, yeah, of course I recommend this movie. Arnie? Yeah, I recommend this movie. I went in expecting that I would recommend this movie. I can't say, though, how much I expected to recommend this movie, how it works on all levels for so many audiences. And if you like action, it's got action. And if you like drama, it's got drama. If you just like good characters, it's got that. I can't believe going into it how much I enjoyed myself watching this movie. And I'm actually planning now on picking up the Blu-ray and making this a regular movie to put into my rotation to watch. I like it that much. And it blindsided me because I expected to go, yeah, it's pretty good. No, it was freaking great. And I cannot recommend this movie higher. This movie is so much fun. You know, Arnie, you gave me trouble in bringing you this podcast about saying that I used to think this movie was a kid's movie. Well, I'll tell you something, Arnie. I still think it's a kid's movie. But now, as a 35-year-old father, I believe it's a family movie. I also believe it's a movie that we, as adults, can watch by ourselves without kids there and thoroughly enjoy. This is a movie for everyone, and you can get something different from it in the different places in your life. I really believe that. I think there's something here. The whole aspect of the bullies versus the kid, that whole thing hits you differently when you're an adult as opposed to when you are an 11 or 12-year-old kid feeling those kinds of things in your everyday life. I highly recommend this movie and if, you, if you've seen it before, folks, do yourselves a favor. Go watch it now. It's that good. Okay, so if you enjoy this podcast, please visit our website at www.nowplayingpodcast.com, and you can download other retrospective series we have. We have Back to the Future, Star Trek, and we have Terminator, a whole bunch of different ones. You can find all of those at nowplayingpodcast.com in our archives section. If you enjoy listening to this and want to discuss this movie and our review of it, please go to our forums. A link to that can be found at our homepage. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter. If you enjoyed this podcast, please, I'm begging you, leave us a good review on iTunes. There's a link to our iTunes from our homepage at nowplayingpodcast.com. I see the downloads. I know how many of you out there keep listening to us. I assume you must be enjoying us because you keep coming back. Please take the time. Go write us a review on iTunes because without that, we can't get the visibility. Without the visibility, we're, we're not going to keep making podcasts, guys. So go leave us a review on iTunes. We don't charge for this. We just ask for two minutes. Go leave that review, please. And please join us next time when we discuss The Karate Kid Part 2. Talk to you then. Very good job. Go home. Get the rest. Come morning. Start early. Six o'clock. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the now playing Karate Kid Retrospective. You're too much TV. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for a new podcast from now until the release of the new Karate Kid film on June 11th. I think you talk too much. I think you're not concentrated enough. That's a work to be done. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes or recommend us to your friends. After. After what? After. After. You can follow Now Playing on Twitter or Facebook or in the Now Playing forums. Links to these pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Oh, man, he's had enough! I'll decide when he's had enough, man! Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2010, all rights reserved.
podcast edited by Jay. The Karate Kid Films is copyright and trademark Columbia Pictures, and no infringement is intended. Today we're talking about The Karate Kid, starring Daniel LaRusso. F- <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you were going to keep going. <laughs> well, when I was watching this movie when I was a kid, I was convinced what Johnny was playing with in the bathtub, uh, bathtub in, the, in the toilet, <laughs> was something we were, in the PG-13 movie he was playing with something totally different. Already tells Mr. Maggie you're the best friend I ever had. And now it's an idealized father-son relationship, the kind you see on, like, Viagra commercials or something. But <laughs> I guess I mean antidepressants, but still. Viagra, he's not worried about having kids, man. He's just worried about getting it on. <laughs> oh.